This episode of the Memory Palace is brought to you by Progressive, home of the Name Your Price tool. You say how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. It's easy to start a quote. Visit Progressive.com to get started. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is the Memory Palace. I'm Nate DeMeo. A brief eulogy written after noticing that the New York Times obituary for Carla Willenda, the last surviving child of the founders of the Flying Willenda's acrobatic troupe, listed the cause of death as unknown. A crowd of Danes watched her uncle Willie fall from the high wire in 1936, sustaining injuries that would kill him two days later. In 1958, another crowd, this one in Mexico City, watched her cousin Gunther's wife, Margarita, lose her balance several stories above the bare ground and die when she landed upon it. Four years later in Detroit, just as seven members of the extended Wallenda family were about to complete an astounding feat of strength, skill, and daring, in which they attempted, as they had done many times before, to cross a high wire as a unit, four men walking the tightrope in a line, a horizontal pole connecting each pair, while two other male Wallendas balanced on each of those poles, and then a seventh Wallenda in the role known as the pretty girl, sitting in and eventually standing upon a chair that was balancing on another horizontal pole extended between the two men beneath her, thus forming a human, mobile pyramid that looked as preposterous as it did terrifying. Circus-goers in Detroit in 1962, people on dates, moms, dads, grandparents taking their grandkids someplace special, children, eyes wide, fingers sticky and tipped pink by cotton candy, watched as Carlo Willenda's cousin Dieter approaching the safety of the opposite platform, wavered, which sent a shiver through the high wire, and the pyramid collapsed, and sent four of them forty feet to the ground, left her father and uncle clinging to the cable by their legs, the crook of an arm, as they held her cousin Jenna, whom they caught in midair as she fell from the top of the pyramid, held her by the wrists as she hung, sobbing, awaiting rescue above the floor where two men, a brother and her cousin, lay dead and another cousin lay in agony, having sustained injuries which would leave him paralyzed from the waist down. The next year, 6,000 people at the Omaha City Auditorium watched her father's sister-in-law fall to her own death from the top of a fiberglass pole upon which she had been balancing. In 1972, Carla's husband, the acrobat Chico Guzman, was balancing on a pole, a swaying one which was Carla's specialty too, at a fair in Wheeling, West Virginia, when the pole swayed into an electrical wire and stunned him and he fell 60 feet and didn't survive. And then in 1978, her father, Carl Willenda, the patriarch of the Flying Willendas, was doing a quick wire walk between two hotels in San Juan, Puerto Rico to promote a more spectacular performance he was scheduled to do the following night under the big top. When a gust of wind came off the bay and took him by surprise, 250 people saw him hit the sidewalk. Carla Willenda died at the age of 85 in Sarasota, Florida. There is no information about her death, though you can infer from the obituaries that its cause was natural, and that any witnesses to it were the types of loved ones and or medical professionals one finds, if we're lucky, at our side when the time comes. Much of her life was documented, however. She appears in two newsreels as a child, and the first she is barely older than a baby, her famous father is on the tightrope behind her, holding her hands as she toddles across. 
In the second, Carla appears to be about five. No one holds her as she walks the wire. She beams the whole time. Her father got his start young too, when he was 10 or so, in Germany, right after World War I. He spent his days working in a coal mine. And at night, his parents would send him out to the bars in town to show off his tricks. He'd do handstands on the table. They'd throw him a few coins. There was an ad in the paper when he was 12. A circus in another town was looking for someone who could walk in his hands. So he took what little money he had and he bought a train ticket to go and try out. He met the owner, showed him his tricks. The guy then pointed up to a high wire, some 30 feet off the ground. He said, great, now do it up there. Young Carl Walenda didn't want to, but he didn't have the money for the return trip home, and so he did it. And the crowd went crazy, and he fell in love with the sound. Fast forward years later, he is a star. He has recruited two of his brothers, a pretty girl waiting to stand on his shoulders as he walked the wire. He marries her. They tour all over, and then one night in Havana, John Ringling of the Brothers Ringling hired the family Walinda and brought them to the States. During their first show, Madison Square Garden, New York City, 1928, the net the Walendas had ordered didn't arrive. They got on the tightrope anyway, and when they completed their traversal, a four-person pyramid, four stories above the bare concrete, the audience went wild. It was like nothing they'd ever seen, and the applause was like nothing the flying Walendas had ever heard. They never used the net again. Their fame grew, and their family too. Not just Carla and her siblings, learning the literal ropes from their daredevil parents, but her parents' siblings, their spouses. Cousins would come out of the woodwork to join the act, even as some of them died. The show went on, as it must. Not for every will ended, though. Carla's uncle Arthur retired young, said he would rather be a living farmer than a dead acrobat. Her mother did, too. She was always afraid up there in the air, she would say. But at some point, she stopped being able to push through it. When she quit, her fear grew. She couldn't even watch the family act. She'd just wait in the wings until they played the music, the little triumphant fanfare that would trill as they basked in the applause and waved to the crowd. Carla never quit. You can go on YouTube and find a clip of her doing a headstand at the age of 80 atop an 85-foot pole. No net, as is the Walenda way, from a TV special a few years back hosted by Steve Harvey. And I will tell you that I read about this, and the information kind of washed over me. But then I watched it. And to see it, an 80-year-old woman in pink sequins, never mind do a handstand, but merely climb the pole. It was really something. One doesn't arrive at 80, able to climb a pole 85 feet off the ground. One that bends beneath one's weight as one approaches the top, that sways as one stands upon it, and then lean down to place one's head upon it and stand that way instead, unless one spends one's life in the air, and spends that life preparing and maintaining one's body to do so. The stretching and training the rehearsals, the fittings, the trying and failing, the falling, the getting back up. It wasn't all applause, her life. She had four husbands, too many tragedies, and there were long stretches in her life when defying death professionally didn't pay the bills. There were waitress gigs, 
and odd jobs that made her feel dead inside, that weren't walking on a wire. That was when she felt alive. She said that a number of times in interviews over the years, and when you read them, you believe her. Her father used to say the same thing, before the gust of wind came off San Juan Bay. So Carlo Walenda is dead at 85. The cause of death is unknown to the wider public, which in her family is something of an achievement. The arc of her life was determined, as so many of ours are, by the circumstances of her birth and by the choices of her parents. Some families choose the suburbs for schools and a decent yard, or choose the city for a shorter commute. They move to be closer to the ocean or the mountains, or farther from their in-laws. They choose this life to join a burgeoning field, that one for stability. Her family chose to fly. This episode of The Memory Palace is written and produced by me, Nate DeMeo. The show gets research assistance from Eliza McGraw. It is a proud member of Radiotopia, a network of independently owned and operated podcasts from PRX. We are out here trying to do daring work for your entertainment. The network is our safety net. If you ever want to help keep it sound and keep us safe, you can make a tax-deductible donation at radiotopia.fm slash donate. If you ever want to drop me a line, you can reach me by email at nate at thememorypalace.org. You can follow me on Twitter or Facebook at The Memory Palace. I will talk to you soon. Radio Tokyo.